If you have your Bibles, please open them up to Genesis chapter 47. We're going to be beginning in verse 27 of Genesis chapter 47. And if you are new to the Bible, new to the church, it may help you to know that those large numbers that you see on the page are the chapter divisions. The small numbers are the verse divisions. We are looking this morning at the life of the closing of the life of Jacob. And it leads us to ask the question, what does it look like to be ready to die? What does it look like to be ready to die? When you think of being ready to die, we think of financially. Being ready financially to die, are we, are we ready? We may think of relationally, our relationship set. Have we been restored to who we want to be restored to? There may be a lot of things that come into our minds if we were to ponder our own death. What does it look like to die well? And this, kids, teenagers, young men and women, this is not and ought not to be the musings only of those who have gray hair or, if the Lord has abundantly blessed them, have no hair. This is important for all of us. The book of Ecclesiastes tells us, kids, the book of Ecclesiastes tells you it is better to go to a funeral than to a party. Funerals are a lot less exciting. But they are far more eternally instructive. You know, for many people around the world, not long ago, colonial America, death was a constant. People lived with a a familiarity with death. There was a, it was not unusual, it was not a fearful thing, not that people were seeking it out, but that it was normal far more normal for people to die. We tend to be blinded through medicine, through a a funeral industry that has separated us and death. It was not so in early colonial America. There, about 20% of all newborn children perished within their first year. And of those who lived... 40% of those never reached adulthood. In parts of Virginia, the average age was for a married woman, the average lifespan was 39 years old. For a married man, the average age was 49 years old. Death was a constant companion. Homes, families experienced it regularly. We are too often shielded from it. We forget that life is a vapor. We forget that we are here and then gone. And funerals remind us of that. Which is what the author of Ecclesiastes wants us to remember. Kids, he wants you to remember it in your youth. 
Life is a vapor. Don't waste it. It is better to go to a funeral than to a party. In this passage, Genesis chapter 47, Jacob is preparing to die. And he is trying to prepare and get things in order so that he is able, when he dies, to die in the way, to have what happens to him after he perishes, to be meaningful. And in this text, Moses, remember, Moses is the author of Genesis. And Moses wants more for us than to merely instruct us about how to die well. Remember, Moses is writing this to the people of Israel who have come out of Egypt. They are about to go into the promised land. Moses is writing them this passage, not so that they will simply learn how to die well, but that so they will learn and so that we will learn how to live well. For if we would die well and know and be prepared to die well, it will help us to live well. This passage is rich. And it, it leads us, my prayer is this morning, it will lead us to rejoice in God. I'm a little anxious this morning, woke up, there's a little tingling in my throat, and at every moment it feels like my voice is going to crack. And my prayer this morning is, no matter how weakly my voice is, no matter how much like a 13-year-old boy, you know, I might sound, that you and I would be awakened to the good promises that God has for us. That we would see all that God is and has and we would rejoice in him and rest in him so that we may live for him wherever he calls us to live. Would you begin with me by praying, Father in heaven, you have made my lips, you have made my voice. You have knit me together and I pray that you would use me. Father, we, we ask that you would help us this morning to all receive your word with humble hearts, clear minds, that you would stir up our affections for you. That our lives may matter. Help us to live in light of the day in which we will one day die. Help us to live in light of your death and resurrection. It is in your name, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Very first thing we see in verse 27, we touched on this last week. I want to go back to this verse. We see God's rich compassion and generous grace. Verse 27, so Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt and the country of Goshen, 
And they had possessions there and grew and multiplied exceedingly. Here we see God's rich generosity, his compassion, his grace, in that he has kept and is keeping his promises to his people. Genesis 12, God promises Abraham, there will be a land, you will have a seed, you will multiply into a nation, you will be blessed. And this says it all. Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the country of Goshen, which we have read earlier, was the best land. A, a, a foretaste of the better land of Canaan that God had promised Israel. More than this, he had promised that they would become a nation. And here we are told they are growing and multiplying. He is going to bless them and they have possessions in this and are accumulating wealth and possessions. They are growing, increasing. God is increasing his people. He's increasing his, he is keeping his promises. We see this in verse 27 at the very beginning. So Israel, and that's singular, Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt in the country of Goshen. That's singular. Israel, it's a a singular verb. But then we get to the second half of that verse. And they had possessions there. What you have at the beginning of the verse, it seems, is Moses talking about Jacob, who we know has been named by the Lord Israel, Prince of God. But by the second half of the verse, he has moved beyond merely talking about Jacob or Israel to talking about Israel as the people of God. God is keeping his promises, blessing, multiplication into a nation, a place. Because God cannot fail, his word cannot fail. You think of the decades, the centuries that have passed The long decades that passed since God first made this promise to Abraham. When Abraham was childless. When Abraham and his wife Sarah had no hope that they would have a child. And God's promise cannot, will not fail. Because God cannot fail. And if God cannot fail, his word cannot fail. And if his word cannot fail, friends, young people, God's promises to you, God's word to you, God's commands remain unchanged. His his word will not fail. Not only do we see God's rich generosity here, we see his compassion to Jacob. Look with me at verses 28. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. God's promise to Jacob, God had given Jacob Joseph as a son, and Joseph lived for 17 years in Jacob's house as a young boy. When he was 17, he is then sold into slavery. And at the beginning of Genesis chapter 46, just a couple of chapters ago, 
We read these words in verses two to four. And God spoke to Israel, that's Jacob, in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make into you a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. You know, for that promise to be fulfilled, all God had to do was allow Jacob or Israel to live long enough to get to Egypt to see his son, and then to soon perish. But God does more than what Jacob expects. Not only is he given 17 years of Joseph's life at the beginning, he is given 17 years at the end. For 17 years, he got to experience day in and day out, week in and week out, Joseph. This is mercy. More than this, we are told, Jacob's Lifespan was 147 years. The average lifespan for those in ancient Egypt, we, we know through archaeological finds, that, or, or the good lifespan, the, the, the best lifespan of those in ancient Egypt was 110 years. That, that was what they expected. That, that was a good, long life. Jacob exceeds that by 37 years. God is enormously compassionate to Jacob. Enormously compassionate here. And then we see this outrageous, what what appears an incredible faith, almost an outrageous faith upon God's promises. We see this beginning in verse 29. When the time drew near that Israel must die and And by the way, there have been multiple times, if you've been paying attention as we've been walking through the life of Jacob, there have been multiple times where he felt like the time of his death was fast approaching. But here, he's finally right. Verse 29, when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, now if I have found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh. This is an ancient form of the pinky swear, okay? Or the, the, the uh, spit on the, the old spit on the hand and then shake on it kind of thing. All right, this is, we're going we're gonna to swear on it. And the way that they would swear on it was to do this, putting a hand under the thigh as he's sitting there. Put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my father's You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do, this is Joseph, I will do as you have said. Then he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself on the head of the bed. Now back in Genesis chapter 17, verse 8, God had promised that the land of Canaan was to be given to the people of Israel as an everlasting possession. Listen to this. I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. We saw this reflected in Genesis 46. 
where the Lord says, not only will he lead Jacob to go down to Egypt, but he tells him, I will bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. This is an incredible promise. And dying now in the foreign land of Egypt, with no plans or prospects, really no hope for him to return to the land of Canaan, he insists that his body not be buried in Egypt, but that it be buried in the land of Canaan. The very place, the very cave, the very, the very location, the very grave site in which Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, and, and Leah, whom he buried there ahead. Jacob wants to be buried there. Why? Well, Sentimental reasons, certainly. He wants to be buried with his family. But this is more to it than that. Far more to it than that. Jacob's faith, by being buried there, Jacob is intending to send a a bright signal that his Faith is still in the promises of God. That though he will die, and that though he will never see the fulfillment of this promise, that that God will lead his people up again. He is anchoring everything that that land of which his family owns just a small part of, a small plot in, that land will one day belong to the people of Israel. This is, and this would have seemed outrageous, irrational on the part of of those witnessing. You are about to die. You believe that God would give to you. But in light of all that God has done, this is not an irrational faith. This This is perfectly reasonable In fact, God has shown himself again and again and again that to trust in him when it seems insane to do so is itself the most sane course of action. He is the creator. He is the one who commands the man in the middle of nowhere to build a boat large enough to to host animals, numerous, innumerable animals. And through whom to rescue and deliver. It is this God who calls Abraham from an idolatrous home, an idolatrous nation, and calls him to go into the land of Cain, and the land that he will show when he gets there. This is the same Lord who promises to Abraham that he will have a son when it was physically impossible for him to do so. It's the same Lord who gives the five kings of the unconquerable armies into the hands of Abraham who only brings with him 318 men. This is the same Lord who on the mountaintop provides a replacement for Isaac as a sacrifice. This is the same one who provides a wife for Isaac. This is the same Lord who has sustained Jacob for decades. Even as he wandered, even as he rebelled, even as he sinned, even as he ran from the Lord. 
It would have been insane for him not to trust God. This promise that he, his people would one day return would seem, at the time, irrational. By this time, the people of Israel had been in the land of Egypt for 17 years. They were acquiring pop property, possessions. They were growing and multiplying. They were putting down deep roots. Back in Genesis chapter 7, 15, the Lord tells Abraham that his people are going to be in Egypt for more than 400 years. There they will experience slavery and affliction and suffering, and then he will lead them out. And Jacob, by wanting to be buried back in Canaan, is publicly confessing where he puts his faith. It's not in what he sees, it is what God, it is in what God has said. And if it if it was reasonable for him to trust in God, how much more reasonable is it for you? You who have the scriptures there in your hands. You who have the testimony of the God who has sent his own son into the world. Would he have given his son up for us and then abandoned us? And yet we fail to believe. We grow anxious. We doubt. We fear. We get angry. How can these things be? God can and will do far greater than we can ask or think. Just yesterday, yesterday evening, someone in our church family called me, let me know, They wanted to tell me how God had blessed them. I love those kind of phone calls. They had been experiencing some need and God had richly provided for them. And then they were at the grocery store yesterday. In the self-checkout line, Walmart, ordering groceries. As they were getting ready to pay, someone walked up put their own credit card in and paid for their groceries. They'd never met this person before, never, never known them before, didn't know, thought they were some mistake initially. Some of you are asking, which Walmart? Can I get a description of that person? But the more important answer is not which Walmart The important question that we need to answer is who is our God who can do this? Who is he who can move people to give? And if he will send someone to pay for groceries 
when money is thin. That is just a small picture, friends, of the payment that he has made through his own son. Where we have, we have come up to the eternal counter with nothing in our pockets. And it is only through the righteousness of Christ that he has paid for us. Why do we fail to trust him? This is not extraordinary faith. This is ordinary faith in an extraordinary God. And yet we still doubt and wonder. Brothers and sisters in Christ, God has never made a promise that he cannot and will not keep. He has never overpromised and underdelivered. If anything, he has underpromised and overdelivered. We cannot even begin to fathom the glories that await us in heaven at his right hand. He will not abandon his people. He will not lead us astray. More than this, part of what makes this whole scene outrageous is not merely the fact that we've got Jacob believing a promise given to Abraham a century ago. What makes this whole thing just pop is that this promise, these promises are given to these people. It's it's an outrageous people in the sense that these people are without merit. We have been tracking through this family history. And there are skeletons upon skeletons upon skeletons in their closets. I mean, Jacob. The idea that Jacob is the one who is going to be buried in Canaan. And who does he think he is? From the very get-go, he was a cheat. He was a deceiver. He lies to his brother and cheats his brother out of the birthright. And then, to top it all off, he lies to his blind, dying father. Think of the gall there. Lies to his blind father to cheat his brother out yet again, this time of the family blessing. And he rebels and he goes against God, goes his own way, self-seeking, self-centered, proud, greedy, manipulative of everyone and everything around him. He's an adulterer. He marries four different women. This is not a man we want to follow in the footsteps after. More than this, think of his sons, because this promise is not only to Jacob, it's to all the people of Israel, to his family. Reuben slept with his stepmom. Simeon and Levi slaughtered a city. Judah abandons the family, rebels against God, gets involved in idolatry. 
and then led away by his own lust. He sleeps with a a woman he thinks is a prostitute, but really ends up being his daughter-in-law. And all the brothers are guilty, except for Benjamin, who wasn't born yet. But all of them are guilty of selling Joseph into slavery. And these are the people to whom God makes promises? I mean, imagine being at work and the person who is given extraordinary promise and given a promotion and a, and a raise and all the glory is the person who is the, the most unreliable, the most self-seeking, the worst worker. That happens And we are exploding with outrage. And rightfully so. And yet it is to Jacob and to these people that God makes promises. But it is only to people like this that God makes promises. Christ did not come to save the righteous, did he? but to bring sinners to repentance, he says. Those who are healthy and those who think they're fine, those who are righteous, they don't need a physician. It is those who are sick, and Christ is that physician. Friends, do you not see how generous God desires to be with you? God owes us nothing, just as he owed them nothing. He owes us nothing except judgment. But it is not enough that God merely would promise to deliver. Deliver Jacob and his people. He promises to bless them. And he promises to bless us beyond our wildest imagination. Psalm 103 He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay to us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Or this, 1 Corinthians 2, 9, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. We are so used to being shortchanged by the world. So used to finding the prices going up. Real life never lives up to the promises. Real life never lives up to the hype. But this is not how it will be for all who trust in Christ. Our God does not, he cannot, he will not overpromise and underliver. He will give more and better than what we can imagine. Friend, trust in this God. Trust in this Savior. 
You cannot find favor in his sight merely by being religious. God is not impressed with our praying, nor is he impressed with our good citizenship, our kindness to others, our good works. They are meaningless. The prophet Isaiah will tell us that they are as filthy rags. But God in Christ provides what you and I could never achieve on our own. Stop seeking your own way. Stop living life on your own terms. It will not get you anywhere you think. Submit in faith to Christ. Follow after him. Cling to him. That in his death and in his rising from the dead. All our sin is atoned for. So that we are able to approach God, not having righteousness that is our own, but righteousness that is of Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters in Christ, have you forgotten the generous compassion of God? Has it seemed that God's promises have failed? Does your present joy in any way reflect the enormity of God's rich compassion to you? Or have you grown apathetic, lazy for God, unfeeling, Outraged, angered by the world. Outraged, angered by another increase in gas prices. That we have little joy left for what God has done. Remember, remember, remember the work of Christ. That is what we do this morning as we gather for the Lord's table. We remember we remember. We remember not only his dying, but his living again. That is the, the point of Jacob's faith here. That in being buried in the promised land, he's believing the promise of God that he will, with the people of Israel, the people of Israel will return to that land and experience the promises of God. Because of Christ, those who hope in him will rejoice not only in life with God in heaven, but we will rise again because he has risen again. This is what we read earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now this I say, brethren... Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit the incorruption. But I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible body must put on incorruption. And this mortal body must put on immortality. So when this corruptible body has put on incorruption and this mortal body has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. 
Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, oh, grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. And the sting of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the promise. We are prepared to die and to die well, believing the promise that that grave is not the end. It is a down payment on Christ rising, raising us from the dead at the last day. And to live well, we believe this. Therefore, my beloved brethren, therefore, based on everything and all this truth, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. So much of our work today feels like vanity, doesn't it? So many of you, you work that job nine to five, whatever your hours are. You do it one day, you're going to do it the next day. You're going to have these conversations over and over. You're going to have to hammer nails in again and again and again. The wall that is falling down will need to be built up. The roof that is leaking, well, you can fix, but you'll have to fix it again. The grass that you cut this week will need to be cut again next. The dishes that you did yesterday will need to be cleaned today. Laundry never stops. Be immovable, steadfast. Know that your labor for the Lord, as you work for the Lord for his pleasure, not for man's pleasure, your labor for the Lord is not in vain. And what is the upshot of all of this? Joseph says, yes, dad, I will bury you back in the land of Canaan, back in the land that God has promised. And Jacob's response is to bow his head. There in our text, it says, bow his head upon his bed. Hebrews eleven twenty. 129, it says that he bows his head upon his staff. Perhaps he's sitting on his bed and he's got his staff in front of him. Perhaps that word could be translated staff. It is in the Greek version. The upshot is that Jacob here worships. He worships the Lord. His heart filled with thankfulness. God because Jacob is certain that God will fulfill his promises. Jacob, in advance, worships. Brothers and sisters, that's what all worship is. We have not yet fully tasted the fulfillment of all that God has promised. But by faith, we are certain to receive it through Christ. And so we worship. We worship. Let us worship him. Father in heaven, you have been extraordinarily kind to us. And we confess we do not deserve the mercy that you have shown.
Our Lord, help us to live, to live well, trusting in your promises. As we approach that day in which we will die, that we will do so in full confidence that all your promises in Christ cannot be lost. Oh God, grant us this assurance in him. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.